Thursday the 6th of April from Worcester Talking News, brought to you in conjunction with Worcester News and Equipment Services for the Visually Impaired. The news we'll bring to you is from Friday the 31st of March until today the 6th. Our team this evening is Sue Parry, Jan- Janet Goodwin, Patsy Sweetman and myself Kate Hudman. Our engineer this evening is Barry Hurd and all administration and copying has been done by Carol Hartle and her team. We extend a very warm welcome to new and regular listeners alike. You may contact us by telephone, in writing or by putting a note in your wallets if you wish. Um, and uh, we're always very pleased to hear from you and your comments are most welcome. Well, good and not so good ones as well, <laughs> even, even though we don't really like the not so good ones, but we, we do our best to, to respond and uh, help you out. It all benefits the service. Uh, and the service is entirely free and also includes a regular talking magazine and a listening service as well, a listening book service too. We'll start this evening by opening the birthday book. Please do let us know if your birthday is in the, in the week that we are coming up to so that we are able to all send you our very best wishes. We'll give you some useful telephone numbers and we'll give you news of theatre events locally and headlines and interesting articles from the Worcester News as well. I'm going to hand you over now to Sue for the birthday book. So, um, it is Thursday the 4th of May. Um, I'm going to um, tell you who has a birthday today and then we'd like to to wish you all a very happy birthday. On the 9th um, of uh, April, it's one of our um, readers, Kate Hudman, so um, we'll say happy birthday to you, Kate. Thank you very much. On the 12th, it's James Bowden, and on the 13th, it's Hazel Jeffs, so happy birthday to you all. Thank you very much, Sue. Uh, and now, if Janet would like to fill us in on the entertainment for this coming week and a little bit further beyond, quite a few. The first one is a freebie, actually. It's at the Worcester City Art Gallery, and it's called From the Cornish Coast to the Morven Hills British Impressionism from the 19th and 20th century. It's free entry, and headsets are available. So that's interesting. Uh, Morven Theatre. Um, is The Magic of Motown on Thursday the 13th of April. Uh, Nobody was available at the box office to give us any information, so that's all I have, I'm afraid. Number eight at Pershaw, um, National Theatre Live, Good, it's called, and it um, stars David Tennant, the Doctor Who man, um, returns to the West End in a blistering reimagining of one of Britain's most powerful political plays. Now that's Thursday the 20th of April, um, 7pm, Friday the 28th, 2.30pm and Thursday the 4th of May, 7pm. And then there's the Royal Opera, The Marriage of Figaro, Thursday the 27th of April at 6.45pm, Encore, Sunday the 30th of April, 2pm. 
that's that one. What's on at the Norbury? Uh, Rogers, Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella. That is on um, Wednesday the 5th to the... Oh, that was last night. So, till the 8th of April, Saturday. Um, so, you've seen the pantomime. Now come and enjoy the Rogers and Hammerstein musical. That's it with that, I think. Now we've got Worcester Theatres. Harry Styles tribute. Saturday the 8th of April at 6pm. And that's £16. And then there's Miss Pearl and the Rough Diamonds. Saturday the 8th of April at 7.30pm. Also, uh, Huntingdon Hall. James Ketchell. It's all mental. Now, I don't recognise James Ketchell's um, name, but apparently he is um, the only person on the planet to have climbed Everest, cycled around the world and rode an ocean. And he is giving a talk there. Be interesting. Um, that is Wednesday the 12th of April at 7.30pm. And then there's at the Huntingdon again, Moments of Pleasure, a tribute to Kate Bush, Friday the 14th of April at 7.30pm. That's it, I think. Yes, that's all that's, of them. That's lovely. Thank you, Janet, very much. And now the telephone numbers that you may find useful, which Patsy will read to us. We've got Worcester Theatre. The box office number for that is, again, 01905 611 427. Malvern Theatre box office, 01684 892277. Norbury Theatre Droitwich, 01905 770154. Number 8 Theatre, Pershaw, 01386 555. Four eight eight, and another really important one is the police non-emergency number one zero one. NHS Direct one one one. Out of hours medical assistance zero three zero zero one two three three two one one. But that's between six p.m. and eight p.m. Crime Stoppers is 0800 Worcester Hub 01905 Worcestershire County Council Here to Help 01905 Option 3 Domestic Abuse Helpline 0800-980-3331 Sense of Adventures, Walking for the Visually Impaired You want to phone D. Jones on 01684-891297 Samaritans, a free phone number 116123 and finally, Western Power, now to be called National Grid, 0800 
24-hour service and this is to be used in the event of a power cut and there's also to be informed there's a priority service register which is free to register on and that's 0800032-8302 and they will provide you with information for example on braille, uh, large print or alternative languages. Thank you very much that's Patsy. Okay. Now, Sue will start with the headline news for the week. And this is the headline from um, Friday, March the 31st. And it um, is about a, a chap who has um, died. Um, Mum tributes to son who was killed in a car crash. A mother has paid tribute to her son saying he was kind to everyone as his friends remember him as the life of the party. Susan Tustin has been remembering her son, Joby Haynes, who died in a car crash near Pinvin on Sunday, March the 26th. Joby was just 26 years old, but leaves his mother and dad, Paul Haynes, with countless special memories. His mum said he was the most caring, loving, amazing person. He was kind to everybody. He used to look after people with special needs and he always had time for them. Nobody could have done a bad, nobody, sorry, had a bad word for him. If you were feeling down, you knew who to ring. Since his death, dozens of friends and family have visited Susan at her home in Strensham. Among them, Joby's friend Joe Kemp, who met him at school 19 years ago. He was the life of the party, said Joe. He was always smiling, everyone loved him, an amazing, caring soul. He loved his mum and everyone he met, really. He's going to be the, he was going to be the best man at my wedding. I love you, Joby. Joby and his mother previously lived in Ombersley, where he would host parties with up to 60 people in attendance. He was a party animal, his mum continued. He just had so many amazing parties. We did everything we could in 26 years, and there was a, a reason for that. Joby only arrived back in England two weeks ago, having spent the last six months travelling around Australia and Southeast Asia. As well as exploring the world, Joby had a passion for cars, having completed in rallies and motocross. Susan added, he had been driving since he was 12, as soon as he could reach the pedals. He used to take our vehicles into the field. Details are yet to be confirmed, but Joby's funeral will be held in Pershaw Abbey. There never there's never going to be another funeral like it and they are not going to be able to fit everyone in, his mum said. Floral tributes and heartfelt messages have been left at the scene of Sunday's crash along with balloons, children's drawings and a bottle of Captain Morgan rum. Paramedics said nothing could be done to save Joby who suffered critical injuries and he was confirmed dead at the scene on the B4082. A second man was airlifted to Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham with serious injuries.
This, <coughs> this heading says City Festivals Under Threat. Vibrant festivals that have become a key part of Worcester's calendar may no longer go ahead after the city was denied government money to pay for them. A string of events, including the Light, the light Night, Same But Different, The Rising and Atmosphere Festivals are all now under threat after a funding snub for Worcester. The festivals were described as making Worcester a destination city but may now fall by the wayside because the city is no longer classed as a priority for arts funding. Worcester was among the first five towns and cities to benefit from the initial round of the government's Cultural Development Fund four years ago, which financed the bulk of the work to convert some of the city's railway arches into new cultural hubs. The funds helped stage the festivals to coincide with the multi-million pound renovation of the arches and supported other projects such as the Worcester Carnival, Worcester Melia, Worcester M Music Festival and Love the Arbo. Councillor Jabba Riaz, who helped organise the city's first ever Melia Festival in 2022, now wants to lobby for more money to make sure the festivals continue to go ahead. The former mayor said Worcester was a little city with a limited record in hosting high-profile festivals and the trailblazing arts funding helped put the city on the map. We have become a destination city and we cannot let the hopes and dreams of thousands disappear, he told councillors in the Guildhall earlier this week. Councillor Lynn Denham, the leader of the council's Labour group, said the festivals had given a voice and identity to some of our communities for the first time. We don't want these events and the Archers festivals to fade into a distant memory, she said. The city actually played host to a celebration of the government-funded projects, with the Guildhall chosen as the venue for a recent meeting between dozens of natural arts organisations and cultural experts. You can imagine the surprise and the irony that when we were highlighting the brilliant success of the programme in Worcester, that I discovered that Worcester was to receive no further funding from the Arts Council as it was not deemed a priority place, Councillor Riaz added. Councillor Chris Mitchell, the Tory leader of the City Council, said he was happy to send a letter to lobby for more money. And while everybody was disappointed by the snub, the funding promised was always time-limited and the festivals needed to be self-sufficient to continue. Councillor Mitchell instead took glee in the council's Labour leader, deputy leader, praising the government for awarding the money in the first place. We're more than happy to support writing a letter to lobby for additional funding because we see the value in it. But of course, this money has never come before, so we should be thankful to the Conservative government for what they've given to us, he said. Right, further headlines. This is from Monday, April the 3rd, and the headline is There Will Be Harm. And Dr. Strike cancels 4,500 appointments. Thousands of hospital appointments were cancelled, including some people who were very sick during the last three days junior doctor strike. The county's hospital boss revealed the situation and called the pay dispute the most worrying situation in his 37 years in the NHS. 
Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said the Trust had had to cancel pretty much all of the 4,500 hospital appointments in Worcestershire, planned during the con continuous 72-hour strike by junior doctors in March. Mr Hopkins said safety in hospitals during the strikes was untenable for patients and staff. There inevitably will be harm, he told councillors this month. I can't sit here today and say there isn't going to be some kind of consequence for patients, not least the psychological stress from preparing to come in for an appointment and then having it delayed. We know how important those doctors are in running the hospital, he added. Mr Hopkins said he couldn't answer how many people he thought might die because of the strikes, but admitted the hospital had been forced to cancel appointments for people who were very sick. We know how important these doctors are in running the hospital. Nobody wants to be in this situation, but we are here and it's deeply worrying. The previous week, the Chief Executive told the Acute Trust Board that pay disputes and mounting waiting times had created the most worrying situation in his 37 years in the NHS by a long way. The impact on patients, staff and leaders in the NHS is untenable and the patient's safety risks during the strike are also untenable, he said. The hospital chief executive said March's industrial action, which did see most planned surgery at the Alexander Hospital in Redditch and most operations at Kidderminster Hospital still go ahead, had caused significant problems for the Trust in its bid to slash waiting times. Members of the British Medical Association say they will hold a four-day walkout in April in their fight to get a 35% pay rise in England. Mr Hopkins said an agreement was absolutely critical and called for a swift and timely resolution. Dr Shivam Sharma, a BMA representative who used to work at the county's hospital trust, said safety was an absolute priority. But the reality was patients were already suffering long before any junior doctors went on strike. These long waits, exacerbated by the pandemic, are the result of workforce shortages and a continued refusal by the government to invest in staff and capacity. But more disruption can be avoided if the government shows it is serious about valuing junior doctors and reversing 15 years of real-term pay cuts. Mr Hopkins, who will be giving up the chief executive role in Worcestershire for a similar job at a hospital trust in Essex, said a third of the trust junior doctors turned up for work on March the 13th, the first day of a continuous 70-hour strike by junior doctors. And on Tuesday, April the 4th, the headline was Someone is going to get hurt. Fears have been raised that someone will be hurt outside a Worcester supermarket with delivery drivers accused of inconsiderate parking. Deliveroo couriers have been parking near the Sainsbury's local store in Barbourne Road and Alex Mackey and Hannah Cooper, who both live in the area, have now asked Sainsbury's to take action. When visiting this store, very often there is a courier parked in an illegal or obstructive manner, either parked on the pavement on double, and double yellow lines on the corner with St George's Lane North, opposite the Treasure Trove store opposite, 
or in the bus lane on Barbourne Road or in front of residents' driveways, they wrote. This is a busy residential area with many pedestrians, young and old, cyclists as well as people using mobility aids like wheelchairs. The manner of the parking places the manner of the parking places them all at risk, either by forcing them into the road to pass the car or placing them at risk of being hurt by the car as it mounts the pavement. You must take action immediately to remedy this situation. Mr Mace, who is the Green candidate for Claines, and Mrs Cooper, the Green candidate for the Arboretum, questioned whether Sainsbury's would be better off servicing delivery orders from its bigger stores in St John's and Blackpool. The location on Barbourne Road is not appropriate for the reasons outlined above and should be removed from Deliveroo, they wrote to Sainsbury's. As regular shoppers at this particular store who appreciate the provided cycling parking, I dearly hope that you take swift action to improve this situation before someone is hurt. The issue of parking near the supermarket was raised when it was given the go-ahead in 2014. At that time, one of the concerns raised was that people would stop directly outside to use the cash machine. Richard Nicholl reassured planners on behalf of Sainsbury's that the majority of customers would walk to and from the shop as it was intended as a facility for people living in the area. He added all deliveries to the store would take place outside peak traffic times, early in the morning or late in the evening. Mr Mace, who said the parking issues have been going on for months, said he was, has not complained to Deliveroo. I doubt they do anything about it. I'm not their customer and it's also not their customers being inconvenienced about it, he said. Sainsbury's are the ones who have decided to serve Deliveroo requests from this store. Therefore, for me, they are the ones who should move, serving these requests from a larger store in Worcester, where they could allocate dedicated space for it. We have asked Sainsbury's for comment. And this is um, Wednesday, April the 5th, headline. Jail for Drugs Gang Quartet. Drug dealers who came to Worcester to ply their trade, some armed with weapons, are now behind bars and stripped of their criminal cash. Worcester detectives have secured prison sentences for county lines. Dealers. Sorry, uh, hang on, drug dealers, sorry. West Mercia police continue to put the gangs out of business. The officers from the South Worcestershire proactive team have secured sentences for four men wanted for drugs offences, seizing £10,000 in cash and thousands of pounds worth of heroin, crack, cocaine and cannabis. Following their trials, the four men who were convicted confirmed to be significant individuals from a county line drug gang operating in Worcester were sentenced at Worcester Crown Court in February and March this year. These are the sentences Himesh Surrey, 27, of Dias Avenue in Birmingham was jailed for five years and eight months for possession with intent to supply Class A drugs and possession of criminal property sentenced Thursday and Friday. Aaron Brooks, 32, of Bearwood Road, Smethwick, four years, five months for possession, with intent to supply Class A drugs, sentenced on Friday, March the 10th. Oliver Brighton, 22 years old and of no fixed address, five years for possession, 
with intent to supply Class A drugs and possession of Class B drugs. He was sentenced on Friday, March the 10th. Stephen Edwards, 41, of Pear Tree House, Worcester, one year for permitting the use of a premises for Class A drug supply, sentenced on Friday, March the 3rd. The investigation into the men began in 2022 when detectives from the County Lines team arrested Brighton for drugs offences and having examined his phone were confident that he was part of a much more prolific gang operating what was known as the J-Line. The team's continued investigations, supported by West Midlands Police, local teams and the West Mercia Intelligence Unit, led to further um, arrests of Surrey, Brooks and Edwards, all for drugs and weapons offences. In all, 10k cash, along with crack cocaine, heroin and cannabis, where thousands of pounds were seized. Detective Sergeant Luke Paps from the County Lines team in Worcestershire said, While our operation led to the closure of this line and prison time for those gang members, our work continues. Serious and organised crime and County Lines drug dealing remains a significant priority for West Mercia Police and we want Worcestershire to be a safe place to live for everyone. Therefore, we will carry on making life hard for these gangs, working together with other police forces and regional and national agencies to stop them polluting our communities. We will continue to prioritise the pursuit and prosecution of those who bring drugs and violence into our villages, towns and cities and who exploit the vulnerable members of these communities, like children and young people. Anyone with suspicions that a property is being used to sell drugs or that a young and vulnerable individual may be getting involved with County Lines drug dealing can report this online under the Tell Us About a section of your website on www.westmercia.police.uk or information can be given anonymously to Crime Stoppers on 0800-555-111. More information for children and young people about County Lines can be found by visiting fearless www.fearless.org slash. Fearless is a site where you can access non-judgmental information and advice about crime and criminality. Disabled tenants are refusing to pay for gas and electricity after a ludicrous meter mix-up left them forking out for their neighbours' higher bills. The situation in Green Lane, Worcester, became so stressful, Eon called an ambulance for one customer who was at her wit's end. After a year, some tenants are still not sure whose bill they are paying after the wrong smart meters were registered to various bungalows. Jane Banford says Eon called her an ambulance before ending the call when she made comments about the stressful situation. The 58-year-old, who politely turned paramedics away, said it was bonkers they called an ambulance. 
When she gave meter readings, she was told it was not her meter, to which Miss Bamford replied, It is, it's stuck to my wall. She has since been told by engineers the meters are mixed up and she is paying her neighbour's bill. Miss Bamford is fed up with Eon asking her to send 50 photos and videos of meter readings, especially as engineers had already been out. Miss Bamford said, They're saying I'm in debt, but it's not my debt, it's my neighbour's. What someone else is using, I'm getting billed for. I'm stopping paying my direct debit. I have absolutely had it. One bill from March 12th to the 21st recorded her estimated annual cost as £925 for electricity and £1,027 for gas, well above the amount she is using. She received a letter from E.ON saying the Energy Supply Ombudsman asked the company to credit £150 to her account as a gesture of goodwill for the shortfall in customer service and inconvenience caused. She challenged a call handler on the phone after another neighbour, Alan, was told the problem was sorted. It's not sorted, Miss Bamford told the call handler. We are paying other people's bills. It's not acceptable. We have all got disabilities. Alan, a 68-year-old stroke survivor with COPD, said, I'm stopping my direct debit. I'm prepared to pay for what I use. I'm not paying for someone else. Alan believes the meters should be removed and new ones put in. Lily, 54, suffers from depression, diabetes and migraines, which leave her bedbound, high blood pressure, and she's at risk of strokes. She tried to set up a direct debit, was told she could not because of the mix-up. Eon told her debt collectors would be sent to her home. It made me feel bad to the point I was sick with stress. How am I supposed to pay huge bills like that? All I want to do is pay a bill, but the correct one. This is so stressful it's awful, she said. An Eon spokesperson said a thorough investigation is being undertaken as to how this matter came about. Situations like this can take a while to resolve as there are normally multiple parties involved including other customers and sometimes suppliers. We are doing all we can to get this resolved as quickly as possible. We are sorry for the inconvenience caused during this time and we will not be charging for any energy costs until this matter is sorted. Little short clip here called Phones will emit loud alarm as part of test. Millions of mobile phones across the UK will emit a loud alarm and vibrate at 3pm on April the 23rd. Yeah. All you do is cancel it. Yeah. In a nationwide <laughs> test of a new public alert system. system is intended to be used in life-threatening situations including flooding and wildfires. But domestic violence campaigners have warned the test could put people in danger by revealing the location of secret phones hidden away by those at risk. The message will be received on 4G and 5G mobile phones, along with sound and vibration for up to 10 seconds. Phone users will be prompted to acknowledge the alert by swiping or clicking the message before being able to continue using their device. Uh, food hall waits go, go on. 
More uncertainty surrounds the transformation of the former Debenhams in Worcester city centre into a food hall. The highly anticipated hall is still yet to open its doors, despite Artisan Food Hall telling us earlier this year it was hopeful for a spring opening. Artisan Food Hall Worcester said in February it hoped to open, hoped to open the doors and basement by April or May, with the entire site open in June. There is still no sign it is any closer, with no official announcements being made. In a new blow it has emerged a separate food hall, Artisan Food Hall, ran in Hull, has been forced to close. Hammonds of Hull closed suddenly with no notice last month. It has been reported by local democracy report, deport, reporter for the area, Joseph Garrard, that Hammonds of Hull was forced out of the space it rented from an offshore company which owns the building, according to Artisan. He reported Artisan is now looking at legal action. And another food hall dubbed 20 London Road in Northwich, Cheshire, is also yet to come to fruition despite plans to originally open in 2021. An Artisan spokesperson told us previously the planned opening of the High Street food hall was delayed because the builder's owners had not made a final payment for works. The former department store is owned by an overseas offshore investor managed by a London agent. We approached Artisan Food Hall through social media but received no comment. Plans were originally announced in early 2021 with the project spread across four floors, each with a unique layout. The ground floor features a bar as well as areas for bristers, sushi, an Italian deli, a bakery and a variety of other food vendors. The first floor is for Canteen Society, which plans to open between Friday and Sunday for pop-up chefs and creates creators to fill the space. The second floor features a city garden and a space that can be hired for events, weddings, parties and gigs every weekend. There will also be a secret door leading to the speakeasy. The basement will be a space for vinyl records, vintage clothing, retro furniture and areas for local vendors. Debenhams permanently closed its doors in January 2021 and the site has been in development ever since. A Worcester man has been named Volunteer of the Year by Dame Ellen MacArthur's Cancer Charity for Young People. Gareth Sellers, who's 52 from Hallow, was announced as the recipient of the award by the Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust on Saturday, March the 25th. The Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust is a national charity that takes young people aged 8 to 24 on sailing and outdoor adventures to inspire them to believe in a brighter future, living through and beyond cancer. Gareth was inspired to get involved with the charity after a colleague who had previously volunteered on, on the Cancer Trust trip said that it would be up his street. Gareth said he was absolutely correct. Last year was my first time sailing with the charity and I absolutely loved it. I loved the whole atmosphere. I loved the young people and seeing what it did for them. It's such a fabulous charity. It does such good work and it's got a unique recipe for helping young people. There is something about the people, a feeling of togetherness and sailing whilst isolated from the troubles of the world. I think that magic of the trust does. No 
when volunteers for recognition, but it's lovely to feel you've made a difference to other volunteers, the skippers, the trust works, with and most importantly the young people they support. Gareth was nominated for the award by young people who have been supported by the Trust. He was part of a crew that sailed from Cowes on the Isle of Wight last summer, spending four days on the water. One nomination said, Gareth was incredible. From the first minute he made everyone feel welcome and it was so lovely. Even though it was his first trip, it seemed like he'd done it a million times before. He kept us laughing all week long. Everyone on the boat said that their favourite part of the trip. He is a huge asset to the Trust and I really hope our paths cross in the future. Another said he went above and beyond being a medic. Besides making sure we were taken care of, he made us food every day. If we needed anything, he was there to help even if it was just to put a smile on our faces, and he all never failed. The Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust's work begins when treatment ends, because for so many young people, simply picking up where they left off before their diagnosis just isn't possible. Through the Trust's sailing and outdoor activities, young people meet others who have had similar experiences, often for the first time, rediscover independence away from home, experience an increased sense of purpose and self-worth and begin to realise what they're capable of again. Most importantly, they stop feeling like the only one. Young people are inspired to believe in a brighter future as they feel accepted, independent and optimistic. They can start to re-establish their place in the world by getting back into education or employment and reconnecting with their friends and families. The Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust's Luke Gilbert Volunteer of the Year Award was introduced in 2017 in celebration of the Trust's legendary volunteer. Luke's incredible personality, sense of humour, enthusiasm, compassion and huge amount of fun made him an inspiration to everyone he met. The annual award winners will have demonstrated all the qualities um, that Luke embodied. For more information, visit Ellen MacArthur, can, can, sorry, Ellen MacArthur <coughs> Cancer Trust dot org, or follow the trust across social media. Another headline here called Bishop set to face second crucifixion. The Bishop of Worcester is set to be crucified for the second time as part of an open air performance in Worcester. The Worcester Passion Play is a free live performance detailing the day Jesus was tried and crucified before rising from the dead on Easter Sunday. Around 60 actors and thousands of spectators are expected to swarm to the Good Friday, April the 7th, event in Cathedral Square. It will be the second year the play has come to Worcester. The Bishop of Worcester, Dr John Inge, will play the bad thief in the play where he will be crucified along with the other actors. Bishop John said, I remember 
recommend coming to the Passion Play on Good Friday in Cathedral Square. It will be very affecting. I have been asked to take the part not of Jesus, but of the bad thief, the one who taunted Jesus on the cross. Maybe watching the bishop being crucified will be an added attentive to attend. The Passion Play cast is made up primarily of people from several Worcester churches and various denominations, including the Church of England, the Catholic Church, Methodists, Baptists and different non-denominational churches. The Worcester production is associated with the Passion Play team who perform a live open-air performance in Trafalgar Square every Easter. Tim Crow, director of the Worcester Passion Play, said Passion Play dramatises the trial, death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, the heart of the Christian faith and the hope for the world. This colourful production brings the historical events to life. This year's events will be slightly different from last year's, including an LED screen so everyone can see what is happening up on the stage. Local cafes, restaurants and businesses will also open early on Good Friday because of the event. The Worcester Passion Play will start at 10.30am and is a free-to-attend event, but donations are welcome. The event also has a section cornered off at Ask Italian, where someone will sign the play for those hard of hearing. A 61-year-old man was caught drink-driving in a Ford Ranger with an open bottle of wine in his car. McAllister Michael of Peachy, Peachley Court Close, Lower Broadheath, committed the offence on Wednesday, March the 1st, in Hilton Road, Worcester. Eleanor Peart, prosecuting, said at 9.05pm that night, police's attention was drawn to Michael's Ford, which was driving slowly before pulling up with the hazards on. The prosecutor said he told officers something was wrong with the car. He told them he had had his last drink four hours before. There was an open bottle of wine in the centre console. After failing a roadside breathalyzer test, Michael was taken to the police station where he gave an evidential sample of 67 micrograms in 100 mils of breath. Miss Peart added, You may feel the offence is aggravated by him carrying a passenger. Mark Sheward, defending, explained Michael had gone out for a meal with his brother to celebrate his birthday. Mr Sheward said the wine had not been drunk by the defendant in the car, instead being taken home to consume. The solicitor said Michael had not felt any of the effects from the alcohol before driving. He took the test. He was amazed when it was positive, Mr Sheward said. Mr Sheward said the defendant was currently studying for a Master's in Military History, but as the course required trips to remote areas, he needed a car for that. An inevitable ban meant it was unlikely he would be able to continue to complete the degree. Mr Sheward added Michael had no previous convictions and was ashamed to be before the courts. Jane Burton, chairman of the magistrate's bench, told Michael he was disqualified from driving for 15 months. Michael was offered the chance to take a drink drive awareness court course, which if he successfully completes it will reduce the ban length by 15 weeks. He was fined £623 and ordered to pay costs of £135 and a victim surcharge of £249. Michael was given 28 days to pay the total amount of £1,007. The case was heard at Worcester Magistrates Court on March 30th. 
A plan to build homes on a village pub's car park has been turned down by the council. The move would have seen two three-bedroom homes built on the car park of the Anchor Inn <coughs> in Kempsey near Worcester. The application by Punch Partnerships was rejected by planners at Morven Hills District Council who said that building the homes would cause unacceptable harm to the appearance of a protected part of the village. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Kempsey Parish Council was against building the two new homes, saying the pair of buildings would not fit in with the neighbouring larger homes, particularly the listed Georgian-era Colne House, which sits next to the village pub's car park. A plan to build a shop in the same place was rejected by the council in 2019. The council's planners were on the same page, said the homes would be out of character against the large plots and large detached houses in the villages, smaller houses in very small plots would be detrimental to the Anchor Inn and the listed Colne House. A total of 10 people had earlier objected to the plan, saying a pub car park was not a suitable site for housing. Other objectors said the pub would desperately need as much space as possible due to several planned developments throughout the village which total hundreds of new homes. Lantar Developments wants to build more than 30 homes off Post Office Lane in Kempsey and has turned to the government's planning inspectors who have the power to overrule the District Council in a bid to get its plan approved. MHDC turned down the, the plan last year, saying the developer should not be allowed to encroach on the countryside. More than 80 objections were raised against the plan by residents in Kempsey, who said the move was unsustainable given how overstretched schools, GP surgeries already were in the village. An application to build 150 homes off the A38 on the southern edge of Kempsey was put forward last year alongside another plan to build 57 homes on fields off Brookend Lane by developer Richborough Estates. The revival of an iconic theatre is a really good story of urban renaissance according to a newly appointed chairman of the Conservative Party. Theatres and cinemas like Scala Theatre are valuable for urban regeneration, according to Greg Hans. A planning application which would see a new 500-seat performing arts venue open at the former Scala Theatre in Angel Place was submitted, submitted earlier this year. Mr Hans, who was appointed in his new role in January, said, I don't remember seeing a former theatre that has been out of use as a theatre for quite a time. I think a new theatre and cinema will help to bring people back into the city centre and I have been really impressed by how lively and busy Worcester city centre has been. Having the cinema and theatre will help liven up the evening which will have a knock-on effect on businesses for businesses and bars. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of the Worcester City Council and Conservative Party, said, The auditorium is still there and it has been boarded up for 30-40 years 
and it's empty but it's still a physical space where the seats and stage are all in there and locked away like a time capsule. Mr Hans was visiting Worcester on Wednesday as part of a tour across England ahead of the elections next month. He said Worcester is an incredibly likeable city with its historic centre and very lively centre and great high street which is going to be improved even further with government money and town's fund. Bringing back the theatre to its historic premises, I think it, first of all, shows a signal that a city is doing well and that a city is also focusing on its cultural side, which for a well-known city like Worcester. I think are really important for, for the evening and nighttime economy and it brings people into the city centre. However, Mr Hans shared his thoughts on the upcoming elections and said, overall, the local elections are going to be difficult for the party. These seats were last fought in 2019 and Labour was still under Jeremy Corbyn. Worcester is obviously a very marginal constituency and nobody controls the council. I think we're going to put on an amazing show in Worcester. Um, this one is uh, cricket. The 2023 County Championship season is almost here and for Worcestershire this week signifies the start of a new era at the club under new head coach Alan Richardson. Richardson promoted from assistant to top dog at the end of the 2022 season. He replaces Alex Goodman at the helm and he will lead his side into the 2023 LV Insurance County Championship opener at Derbyshire on Thursday. The pair's push for promotion last year came up short and now without usual suspects such as Ed Barnard and Moen Ali in the squad, a young and enthusiastic side are aiming to go one better this time around. Richardson believes his players deserve the chance to play Division 1 county cricket. I would like to think so, promotion being the aim for the campaign, but life and sport are not always linear, but it would be nice if to think we could continue to improve, said Richardson. We showed some really good signs in red ball cricket last year, and we were probably just a couple of results away from being right in the mix for promotion. We played outstanding cricket at times, so our ambition should be to continue that. Keep entertaining the members that come along and give us that chance of getting promoted, because I think the players deserve to have that chance of playing Division 1 cricket. Ahead of Thursday's opener at the County Cricket Ground, the pair's preparations have been heavily disrupted due to the weather. Warm-up matches with Gloucestershire and Oxford were cancelled and the three-day match with Warwickshire only lasted a couple of hours on the first day. Despite the lack of game time, Richardson remains confident his players are ready and insists there are no concerns of being undercooked. It hasn't been the ideal preparation, but everyone is in the same situation. I'm actually quite pleased with where the um, boys are at, because the majority of them have been away a lot of the winter and have been playing con consistent cricket. We got away to Spain together as well, which was very good. Ideally, we would probably have wanted a couple more days of cricket, but I don't think it would affect us too much, and it certainly won't be any excuse for poor performances. I'm really comfortable where we are, so we should be fine. Despite the losses of Ali and Barnard to Warwickshire last summer, Worcestershire's squad has a nice balance to it and new signings will provide some fresh energy. 
Arrivals, Adam Hose and Matthew Waite will begin the 2023 campaign on Thursday as Worcestershire players and Richardson is excited to see them take to the pitch later this week. Players leave clubs all the time. It's how you overcome those, he added. Ed and Mo have been fantastic for Worcestershire and I'm sure they will continue to do so for Warwickshire. Just hopefully not against us. But the players we have and the players we have brought in are more than capable of filling holes and you would like to think the team can do that instead of just individuals. Every year we lose players and we gain them. It's how the group evolves and becomes stronger through that. Adam Hose and Matthew Waite have been incredibly incredible acquisitions and are excellent characters to have around and their skills will speak for themselves. You can get caught up with losing certain players but we have to look forward and positively on the situation that we are now in. And um, this headline is Champions. <coughs> Young City boxers showed their mettle by producing two national junior champions and two elite Midland champions on the same day. Worcester City Amateur Boxing Club enjoyed a great result on Sunday for Jaden Bryce, 15, and Caitlin Wise, who's also 15. The weekend also saw wins for Pat Morgan of Malvern and Ryan Jones from the club in Vincent Road, Worcester, showing they were kings of the ring. Caitlin Wise, who has been boxing at the club since the age of 11, won the Junior Open Class Finals and Jaden Bryce won the Junior Cadets Finals. We have previously reported how Caitlin made history when she became the first junior female boxer from the club to win a national title. She was crowned national champion after beating the reigning champion Cuddy Thomas from the same amateur gym that produced Anthony Joshua. Patrick Morgan fought in the um, senior elite finals, coming out on top. Head coach Michael Underwood said, What a Sunday for Worcester City boxers. Two national junior champions and two Midland senior elite champions. Jaden Bryce and Caitlin Wise won the semi-finals on Saturday in Wigan on unanimous decisions and then travelled back up to Wigan winning the national finals. Pat Morgan unan- uh, yes, uh, unanimously pointed out a cabber from the Triumph Club to become Midland Elite Champion in Cannock. Ryan Jones' opponent pulled out leaving Ryan Midland Champion as well. Ryan and Pat now go through to the national pre-quarter final next week. He added, I think it's a great achievement for the club. The club affiliated to um, England Boxing has 16 active carded boxers but are between 35 and 40 training with the club with ages ranging from nine years to adults. It was business as usual for the winners who have been training back at the club this week. Six Bayes Stadium will host the opening game of the Women's European American Football Championships later in this month when Great Britain take on Sweden. 
The tournament is a round-robin event that will see five teams battle it out over two years to be crowned champions and Great Britain and Sweden will open the competition on April the 15th at Sixways, 3pm kickoff. Tickets are priced at £7 for an adult and under fives go free. Sweden will be looking to bounce back after their disappointing World Championships whereas Great Britain will be wanting to build on their recent success and provide some payback for the narrow loss in the previous European Championships. The game also marks the 10-year anniversary of the first ever Great Britain women's game, which again pitched Great Britain versus Sweden in 2013. The competition on format has changed for this edition of the tournament, there will be a total of five games in 2023 and five in 2024. This year, Spain will visit, visit Finland and Germany will be the host for the match up with Great Britain. Later in the year, Germany and Spain will clash in Spain, while Sweden will play host to Finland. In 2024, Great Britain will travel to Spain early in the year while Finland will be at home against Germany and Spain will take on the Swedes in Sweden. Finally, in the summer of 2024, Germany will be the host team in the game against Sweden while the Finns travel to Great Britain. Javier Carrasco, the Championship's technical delegate, said, the upcoming European Championship with its new format is set to be the most exciting ever and I cannot wait for us to kick off the new campaign. We really want to capture the momentum generated from the IFAF World Championships last summer which will significantly help us take this competition to the next level. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank all the team managers who have been working closely with IFAF in planning the competition. Their dedication and expertise has been instrumental in launching this new format. Entries are now open for the St Richard's Hospice Fundraiser. It says excitement grows for the 12th Worcester Marathon. The Worcester Marathon is now in its 12th year and entries are open for the 223 edition of the big race, raising money for St Richard's Hospice. The event will stage both the full and half marathon on Sunday, May the 21st, with the 10k race also taking place at the same time. Both longer race distances start at 9.30am in Offerton Lane and registration opens at 7.30am in the morning of the race at Worcester RFC. The full marathon takes in two laps of the loop around beautiful rural lanes whilst the half accompanies the full of the first lap before splitting away at 11 miles and heading back to the finish. All marathon and half marathon finish finishers receive a 2023 qualifying bespoke medal and a t-shirt. 10k finishers will receive a medal and the race starts at 10am. A statement from the race organisers said, again for 2023 we're proud to be supporting St Richard's Hospice. Some of the entry fee goes forwards uh, to the, towards this fantastic Worcester charity, but many of you go the extra mile and help raise sponsorship money for this great cause. 
You can also make a contribution on the entry form if you wish. For more information on the event, including entry fees, uh, you should sign on to their website. And now we'll continue with some other stories you might find of interest. A skydive for a beloved grandfather will follow a family fun day which already raised over £2,000 for the city hospice which cared for him. More than 350 people attended the family fun day at the Brunswick Arms in Malvern Road, St John's in Worcester on Saturday to mark a year since the loss of popular Brian Robinson who died of cancer. The fundraiser featured a charity auction, a raffle, tombola, face painting, bouncy castle, live singer Matt Peplow and a karaoke. So far the event has made over £2,200 for St Richard's Hospice in Worcester. Holly Shakechef and brother Samuel Robinson arranged the charity day to go towards their charity skydive which is taking place on June the 10th. Samuel Robinson, who set up a Just Giving page, said the care he and all of our family received from St Richard's Hospice was outstanding. From daily care at home to eventually 24-7 care at the hospice, they made the unbearable bearable. Being a big family man and loving the comfort of his own home, we were all very apprehensive to let him go into the hospice, but we were reassured every step of the way. They knew all of us by our first names and took a genuine interest in my granddad's personality and hobbies. The little touches, such as filling up the bird feeders on his patio and having the doors open so that he could hear the birds in his final days, really touched us. My granddad was a very charitable man and participated in fundraising all his life, so it seems fitting we should follow suit. We want to raise as much money as we can to give back to the wonderful St Richard's Hospice, all in memory of a true legend. Let's face it, he would walk to the other end of the world for us, so jumping out of a plane is nothing. Shane Griffin, landlord of the pub, said, Brian and the family received outstanding care and support from St Richard's, and they wanted to give something back. We are more than a pub and on Saturday it showed as a community how amazing the community are in St John's coming together. I would like to thank everyone who was involved and came along and supported this great day. Princess Anne pays tribute to fallen soldiers. Princess Royal made a quick stop in Norton to dedicate a statue created by the Norton Worcestershire Regiment Group. Hundreds lined the streets of Crookbarrow Road to catch a glimpse of the Royal. Princess Anne, patron of the Worcestershire and Sherwood Foresters Regimental Association, unveiled a plaque by the side of the sentry statue which was installed last year. The bronze sculpture, a soldier designed by John McKenna, serves as a tribute to Norton Barracks for its role in recruiting soldiers into the Worcestershire Regiment, who then went on to fight in two world wars. Among the crowd was veterinary, sorry, a veteran, Athel Deakin, whom Princess Anne appeared to pick out of the crowds and have a chat with. Mr Deakin, who has met Her Royal Highness before, said she didn't remember me. Somehow, I've met loads of royals. I guess I'm one of those inspiring type blokes that people just like to have a chat with. 
I've met all the royals. Queen walked past me once. Mr Deakin joined the Worcestershire Regiment in 1963 and, and when he went to um, Gibraltar. In 1970, the regimental <coughs> amalgamated into Sherwood Foresters Regiment, which is when he first met Princess Anne. He added, Her Royal Highness was Commander-in-Chief at the time and she gave us the new colours. When I met her just now, I asked if she remembered when we amalgamated. She remembered it very well because it was a very cold, windy day and it was a big occasion. She said it was traumatic time when we amalgamated and we did a good job on the day because it was really bad. You woke up that morning and half the regiment had left. <coughs> Speaking before the unveiling, Dave James from Norton Worcestershire Regiment Group said, the Worcestershire's were an ordinary infantry regiment composed of men trained for the hardest of tasks to fight toe-to-toe -to -toe with the enemy and to drive him off. The purpose of this statue is to serve as a reminder of all those who have served at Norton Barracks and guarded our freedom and to remind us of the countless thousands who passed through this place. The nearly 11,000 soldiers of the Worcestershire Regiment who fell defending freedom, the 20,000 who came home wounded and those who came home safe but who bore unseen wounds. After unveiling the plaque, Princess Anne spoke with many of the veteran soldiers, serving soldiers, the Mersion Regiment council leaders and members of Parliament who were in attendance. She then drove off in a dark blue Range Rover, ahead of engagements in Gloucestershire. A singing goat, which became a viral sensation with millions of views on TikTok, has returned to take centre stage by performing with a choir during a cathedral service. Pablo the goat left churchgoers in stitches after he appeared to bleat along to the organ music during an animal blessing service in September last year. Footage of his hilarious antics, stealing the show at Worcester Cathedral, was viewed more than two million times on social media and quickly went worldwide. Pablo was then invited back as a guest of honour, where he again repeated his comical act, this time joining in with the rendition of All Things Bright and Beautiful. <laughs> the three-year-old goat is seen joining the choir in song while bleating along to the hymn last Thursday, March the 30th. More than 300 people, plus their animals, attended the blessing service as Canon John Paul Hoskins welcomed Pablo from Atwell Farm Park in Redditch. Sarah Bauer, a spokesperson for Worcester Cathedral, said it was wonderful to welcome B Pablo the Goat back to the cathedral and his friends even joined in the singing this time too. <laughs> we were delighted to see all of the animals from Atwell Farm Park and all of the others who joined in to celebrate our amazing animal friends. Pablo was in fine voice again and everyone thoroughly enjoyed listening to him throughout the service. After the footage was uploaded on social media, one web user wrote, Pablo, get Pablo into the choir, although he sounds more like 
Billy Goat Graham to me. <laughs> Another said, don't hush him. He is giving his utmost and I want him, I want to hear it. He should be on Britain's Got Talent next year. John Bravo joked, no kidding, Pablo's singing ain't half bad. Another added, Pablo for little baby Jesus in the nativity next year. Youths reportedly seen chasing cows. Youths have been reportedly seen chasing cows and throwing things at them. The Pickersley Safer Neighbourhood team are carrying out patrols in the area after receiving reports of an antisocial behaviour. Police were informed that youths have been throwing items at cows and chasing them on Moat Farm. This antisocial behaviour is unacceptable and causes the cattle to be alarmed, which in turn could put those responsible in danger of being seriously hurt, said PC's SO Kevin Tudge. We are working closely with the farm and carrying out patrols of the farm and will deal with anyone found to be responsible accordingly. We recognise that the vast majority of young people are responsible and would never commit such behaviour. However, we ask that parents be aware of where their children are in the evenings and what they're getting up to. <laughs> I'm just going to read two small items at the moment. These are found. Care home residents will be the first to receive the spring COVID-19 booster jab from Monday. Around 5 million people in total are eligible for a booster up until the end of June, including those aged 75 and over, and anyone aged 5 and over who is immunosuppressed. While the care home programmes of boosters rolls out across England, all other eligible people will be will be able to book their jab online from April the 5th, with the first appointments available the week commencing April the 17th. Millions of people will be sent their initial invitations through the NHS app. And this other thing, uh, quite interesting, fix your items at the Repair Caf. This month, Repair Cafe Worcester will be opening two sessions. The next Repair Cafe session will be on Saturday, April the 8th, from 11am to 2pm at Unity House in Stanley Road. Another session will be held at Worcester University on St John's campus at the Student Union building on Saturday, April the 29th from 11am to 2pm. Meanwhile, Transition Worcester will be holding its final seed swap event at the Repair Cafe session this Saturday. The rule is take what you need, give what you can. Bring your own seeds to exchange or give a cash donation. And this is another <coughs> little um, item, and it's um, talking about the club shop and cafe, which is reopening. Worcestershire County Cricket Club's shop has reopened ahead of the new season. The shop and cafe at New Road have been shut for the last four months. However, with the new cricket season fast approaching, the doors have swung back and opened today. That was them. Um, March, not until March the third. Sorry, March thirty-first. We've passed that, haven't we? Now, the cafe will be open Monday to Friday, and from nine a.m. to four p.m., serving breakfast, lunch, and afternoon snacks. Dogs are also welcome. Weather conditions meant Worcestershire's pre-season preparations didn't quite go to plan. The county championship opener coming away at Derby on April the 4th. The first game at New Road 
against Gloucester begins on April the 20th. And another short um, piece of writing here. Temporary traffic lights are in place after a gas leak on a road in Ronxwood. Cadent gas is currently on Newtown Road near Humber Road to carry out roadworks on Friday morning, March the 31st. It comes as Newtown Road has now reopened beneath the railway tunnel since closing on Monday, March the 13th. It was closed between Sheriff Street and Shrub Hill Road while City Fibre carried out work. Worcestershire Highways and Travel said Newtown Road Worcester is now open beneath the railway tunnel. However, there is a gas leak further up Newtown Road by Humber Road, meaning that there are temporary traffic lights in operation for works by Cadent Gas. College students cooked up a storm in their new kitchen. Pershaw College pupils have been making the most of the school's recently refurbished training kitchen. Students partnered with the Rotary Club of Evesham to host 12 local elderly residents for their first intergenerational luncheon in three years. The lunch forms part of the student-led programme Bridging the Generation. Sarah Makins, tutor at Evesham College, said it was great working with the Rotary Club to welcome back members of the local community for a wonderful afternoon meal as part of our Bridging Generations project. This was the project's first lunch in our new kitchen following a move to Pershaw College and all of the students were fabulous and a joy to work with. It was great to see their confidence and skills grow during the afternoon with the events supporting their learning whilst also having a positive impact on the community. We're looking forward to another Bridging Generations lunch very soon and are happy that the successful competition pardon, of our new training kitchen will enable us to offer even more training opportunities to our students. Bridging the Generations is a ser series of events aimed at connecting students with elderly members of the community. The luncheon was hosted by 14 students on the supported learning and health and social care courses. It was the first face-to-face -face edition of the project since the beginning of the COVID pandemic. During the event, guests were treated to a home-cooked meal of leek and potato soup with homemade bread rolls and chocolate brownies, with the menu devised, cooked and served by the seven supported learning students and tea, coffee and biscuits served by the seven health and social care students. Hein van der Stein, secretary of the Rotary Club of Evesham, said it was a lovely afternoon returning for our monthly Bridging Generations event following a gap of three years. We were hosted in a new location at Pershaw College with its new kitchen and dining area that the guests really enjoyed. It was great to see interactions between the visitors and the students who cooked up a delicious lunch and entertained us with a quiz. The event supports both students' courses and fosters cross-generational connection and conversation in the community. It was a delightful afternoon for all involved and I know the visitors are all looking forward to the next event. But two more short 
food-related items. The first one is a monthly lunch at Village Hall. A monthly lunch get-together is held at the second, on the second Thursday of the month at Stolton Village Hall near Worcester, providing vital funds for the village church. It's a chance to have homemade soup and a sandwich between noon and 2pm. The next one is Thursday, April the 13th. The doors open at 11.45, with last orders at 1.15pm. The cost is £5 per person, with profits supporting the fabric of the church. And the second one is a cafe at The Hive. The cafe offers time to chat. A language cafe aimed at intermediate and advanced language learners who want to improve fluency in Italian, Spanish and French is running at The Hive. The informal monthly gathering provides a free and relaxed environment for people to try out their language skills. The cafe runs for French and Spanish between 10am and noon every Monday, Italian between 10.30 and 12.30pm on the last Tuesday of every month. Then there is a Russian event between 7pm and 8.30pm on the second Thursday of every month. A bench dedicated to those who died in the Falklands has been installed in Great Malvern. The memorial bench sits in the grounds of Great Malvern Library near the Cenotaph. A dedication service took place last Sunday, April the 2nd, 41 years to the day since the Argentinian invasion of the Falkland Islands that led to the 10-week conflict. The Reverend Rod Cork led the service and dedicated the new bench, which has a plaque remembering the fallen. A wreath was also laid at the Cenotaph. District and County Councillor Martin Allen, himself a Falklands veteran, was involved in the funding and installation of the bench. I am the Armed Forces and Veterans Champion for Malvern Hills District Council, he said, and I was really pleased when the Malvern Armed Forces and Veterans Breakfast Club approached me to see if I could help in funding a memorial bench. With the help of three other local councillors, I found the funds and arranged for the bench to be installed in the grounds of Malvern Library, near to the Cenotaph. I was only 19 when I sailed aboard HM Submarine Valiant into the war. It was an experience of a lifetime and will always stay with me. Of course we returned victorious, but with the loss of 255 comrades. I feel that that bench is a fitting way for their sacrifice to be remembered. A series of events took place last year to mark 40 years since the Falklands War, including a special service in Malvern attended by veterans from across the region. The Prime Minister Boris Johnson was among those who attended a commemorative event at the National Memorial Arboretum in Staffordshire, which included a fly-past and a live link-up link up with the Falkland Islands for a two-minute silence. Earlier this year, tributes were paid following the death of Dr Peter Maynard, a Malvern man who served as a surgeon during the war. The Malvern Hills Armed Forces and Veterans Club, which instigated the installations of the bench, meets for breakfast on the third Saturday of the month at the Foley Arms. The rollout of super-fast broadband across Worcester is well underway, with the city's MP receiving a tour of the work so far. 
City Fibre recently welcomed Robin Walker, MP, for a tour of the works in Cathedral Ward, giving him a closer look at the £21 million citywide project. During the visit, representatives from City Fibre and build partner Kia introduced Mr Walker to a full fibre digital in infrastructure, the best network technology currently available. City Fibre says the technology uses full fibre networks, 100% fibre optics to carry data at high speed up to 1,000 I'm not quite sure what that is, sorry, and offers near limitless bandwidth and co connectivity users can depend on. Neil Wright, area manager at City Fibre, said, according to recent Hatch research, in Worcester alone, our full fibre network is expected to unlock 131 millions in productivity and innovation as well as deliver an 83 million increase in house value. Worcester was among the first projects to be announced by City Fibre so it's really exciting to see the network grow with more addresses going live day by day. We cannot wait to see how the city will benefit. Mr Walker said, I welcome this investment made by City Fibre and I am looking forward to seeing how the next stages of the rollout develop, along with wider benefits <coughs> that it will bring to the local economy. Construction is being delivered by Kia on behalf of City Fibre. The team is using a range of construction methods while working with Worcester City Council and communities to deliver a fast rollout. As the network is completed, in each designate the homes ready for service, which means residents can choose to connect full fibre enabled broadband services when they go live in their area. In Worcester, full fibre services are currently available from Vodafone, TalkTalk, Talk, um, Gigantnet and Zen. Across the UK, City Fibre is working with launch partner Vodafone to deliver next generation broadband services as well as TalkTalk, Giganet Talk, um, and Zen with others expected to join the network soon. An elderly couple struggling to walk around Worcester has sparked the instalment of more benches. The two were spotted walking down Barbon Road by Councillor Karen Lewing, who said the man was carrying a fold-up chair for his wife to sit on when she needed a break from walking. Worcester City has now been described as becoming more pedestrian-friendly after the promise of more benches being installed for those struggling with mobility. Councillor Lewing said many residents have told me that they like walking but struggle to walk long distances. I encountered an elderly couple who told me that more benches would be pen beneficial as the husband currently carries a fold-up chair for his wife when walking down Barbon Road. To make Worcester more walkable, I have asked the City Council to install more benches where people can stop to rest. Hopefully this will encourage people to walk more frequently. Councillor Lewing approached the City Council in January about the issue. The first bench has now been installed 
in the widened pavement outside the RGS and conveniently positioned next to a bus stop too. It is hoped the bench will provide a resting stop along Barbon Road between the bench and the art gallery and the next one by St George's Square. It has been reported Councillor Matthew Jenkins has already installed a beach, a bench by Gregory's Bank on the canal towpath and more will be added by the bridge over the canal leading to Wordsworth Avenue. In previous years, benches in the city have been used to increase socialisation amongst those suffering from isolation. In 2020, Happy to Chat benches were designed in St John's for people looking for someone to sit and say hello. The plaques on benches in St Clement's Close carry the message, sit here if you don't mind someone stopping to say hello. Councillor Richard Udall used money from his divisional funds to buy the bench signs. Voters urged to check rules. Voters in England have been urged to check they will be able to take part in this year's local elections with polling day exactly one month away. Anyone hoping to cast a ballot will need not only to be registered to vote, but also display a form of photo identification, which is compulsory in England for the first time. Not all types of photo ID will be accepted, but a passport or driving licence are valid. Anyone without the correct identification needs to apply for a special certificate by April the 25th, while the deadline to register to vote is April the 17th. Right, thank you very much indeed. That's the last of our items. And uh, now we'd like to all wish you a very, very happy Easter, which yes. is coming up now, and have a wonderful time. Weather forecast for Easter Sunday is glorious, so hooray, that, uh, let's hooray. hope that we can all <laughs> do something pleasurable in, in whatever way we like. Uh, so I'd like everyone to say goodbye around the table. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. And uh, I shall um, now follow with the obituaries and the... Uh, um, thought for, for the day. And the thought for the day um, is at John 19, verses 41 to 42. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And now the obituaries this week. Hugh Jones died on 17th of March, aged 70 years. His funeral service will take place on the 21st of April at Wire Forest Crematorium at 12.30pm. No mourning clothes. Family flowers by request and donations if desired to St Richard's Hospice. Funeral directors are J. Vernon Kendrick, Funeral Directors, Vernon House, Lye, West Midlands, DY98DB. John Barnett passed, passed away on the 14th of March, aged 80. He, um, his funeral service is at St Mary's Church in Kemsey on Thursday the 13th of April at 2pm. 
Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the Royal Horticultural Society and they may be left at the service or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Telephone number 01905 748811. Gary Dutfield passed away suddenly on the 16th of March, aged 60. The funeral service is taking place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 12th of April at 10am. Flowers may be sent directly to the funeral home at 17 Lowesmore, Worcester, WR1 2RS. Their telephone number is 01905 22137. Donations, if desired, may be given at the service for New Hope, Worcester. Trevor Smith passed away on the 9th of March, aged 78 years. His funeral service is at St George's Catholic Church on Monday the 17th of April at 1pm, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for RNLI may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Omsley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Peter Gormley, aged 88 years, died on the 10th of March. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 11th of April at 12.15pm. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for Cancer Research UK may be left at the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU and no black by request for that gentleman. Reginald Passy, known as Dave from Worcester, passed away on the 17th of March, aged 82 years. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 21st of April at 11.30am. 11 Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, will be gratefully received for St Richard's Hospice. All inquiries to Worcester Co-op Funeral Care, 17 Lowesmore, WR1 2RS. Telephone number 01905 William East passed away on the 17th of March, aged 77 years. Funeral service at St Martin's Church on Thursday the 20th of April at 1.45, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Lawson Fowles, known as Chick, passed away on the 25th of March, aged 86, and he has a funeral service taking place at Worcester Crematorium on the 17th of April at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice, care of Jackson Family Funeral Directors, 54-56 to Barbourne Road, Worcester, WR1-1JA. 
Peter Weaver passed away at home on March the 21st at age 88 years. His funeral service is at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on April the 14th at 2pm. Family flowers only, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be sent to E. Hill and Son, Funeral Directors, Pershaw. That's WR101HZ. John William Parrish, known as Bill, passed peacefully away at home, aged 89 years. He, his funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 19th of April at 1pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Dementia UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Omersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. And our thoughts and condolences go out to all those people's families and friends at the time of their loss. Good night, everyone. <laughs>